kids, this one's for you. You gotta watch me. Okay, Charlotte? Keep your eyes on me. Gowie, right here. Dan? Ah, forget Frank. <laughs> I want you to put on your memory cap, your thinking cap, your imagining cap. Do you have one of those? Borrow one. Go rummage through your mom's purse. I'm sure she's got one or two in there. Your dad probably lost them. And I want you to put those on. And I want you to think about something that has happened in your life that you were deeply, deeply disappointed about. Can you think about that? It's not a nice thought, but can you, can you just imagine? I'm sure the older we are, the easier that is to put into our mind's eye. I want you to think deeply about it. I mean, really remember it. What did you feel? What did you think? What emotions did you have? Were you sad? Maybe you were angry. Maybe you were confused. These are all really tough emotions, yeah? What do you think, Charlotte? Is it hard to be confused? Charlotte's just happy with her apple juice. Be like children. Just drink apple juice and fall asleep during my sermon. You see, life is filled with a lot of really, really good things, isn't it? Amazing things, wonderful things, really good times, special times, amazing things in this world. If you've ever been to Jasper and looked at the mountains, if you've ever been to the North Shore and seen the sea rise up into the hills behind the city of Vancouver, if you've ever been to the Serengeti or the Maasai Mara and seen the animals that are incredibly impressive, elephants, lions, zebras, giraffes, oh my. This world is filled with delight. And it's also filled with disappointment. And it all gets mixed in together, whether we like it or not. And at times, we don't get what we want. And here's the difficult part. There are times in our world where people don't actually get what they need. Our world is filled with difficult stories, hardships, disappointments, and suffering. How do we face such times? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Kids, have you ever asked yourself that question? Gal, have you ever asked yourself that question? Nope. Love your honesty, buddy. I want you to ask it now. How do you face disappointment? You don't have to say it out loud. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Or you can come up here and help me preach, whichever one you choose. Okay, I'll continue without you. You just stay there and keep me honest. Fantastic. How do we, ask, how do we face disappointment? 
Have you asked yourself, adults, have you ever asked yourself that question? How do I, what is a, a right way to face disappointment? Anyone? No hands up. This is a perfect sermon to preach. Jane, of course, but Jane, there's Jesus and then you. And that, I'm not teasing. I mean that. That was not meant to be anything other than an honest assessment. How do we face disappointment? I think we have some lessons to learn from the passion story. Now, the passion is what we call the decision that Jesus made to allow himself to be put on the cross. Angel talked today about Jesus' choice that he was going to allow himself to die, but he wasn't going to stay dead. But there's much we can learn in that process, that movement towards that decision where he allowed himself, and make no mistake, he allowed himself to be hung on a Roman cross. We can look at the people that were, that were near Jesus. We can look at their responses, their emotions, their decisions, and we can, we can glean a lot about what it means to face disappointment. We can learn how to do it right. We can also learn how to do it wrong. So here's the story. Jesus is there on the cross. He's gone through the events. And we're going to talk a lot about this over the next few weeks as we lead up to Easter. All of the beatings, all of the curses, all of the injustice has led to him on that cross. Now this is Passover. Now Passover was a celebration that people came to Jerusalem and it was the celebration of Israel being freed from Egypt. This was a crowded time in the city. Oftentimes you'll see pictures of the cross and there's one or two people hanging underneath. It was probably nothing like that. It was probably throngs of people pushing in to see the spectacle of this Roman crucifixion. That's why they chose to do it at that time. Rome wasn't going to lose the PR opportunity to put a bunch of people up there to remind us who is in power. And what do we hear? We hear shouts. And if you listen closely, you can hear the crowd saying it again and again and again. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. goes like this. People passing along the road jeered, shaking their heads in mock lament. You bragged that you could tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. So show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down from that cross. The high priests along with the religion scholars and leaders were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun at him. And him is Jesus. He saved others. He can't save himself. King of Israel is he. 
then let him get down from that cross. We'll all become believers then. He was so sure of God, well, let him rescue his son now if he wants him. He did claim to be God's son, didn't he? Even the two criminals crucified next next to him joined him in the mockery. If you are the son of God. These are the same crowds that four, five, six days ago were putting their jackets on the ground, laying palm leaves, singing glory to God. The Messiah has come, ready to accept Jesus as their leader, ready to accept Jesus as God's anointed. What happened? How did they go from standing there and risking Roman retribution for claiming Jesus as their king to five days later spitting rebuke out of their mouth? It's because they were disappointed. And in their disappointment, they lost sight of what God was doing right in front of them. See, they allowed their disappointment, they allowed their expectations of how things should be to get the better of them. But I want you to listen very, very carefully. These voices stirred within the angry crowd. If you are the Son of God, then. Listen carefully. The voices belong to the crowd, but the words belong to someone else. Then Jesus, after he was baptized, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Do you hear that? If you are the Son of God. And if you are, why doesn't everyone else see it? If you are God's son, then what are you doing on that cross? Or as one theologian I read this week put it, the voice of Satan is often hard to recognize precisely because it appears so frequently as the voice of common sense, of prudence, of reason. You see, the crowd was using their voice to project the words of Satan. It sounds right. It sounds reasonable. But it isn't the truth. And this is where we need to take care. The words of Satan can also be found in our own words of disappointment. How do we face disappointment? Carefully. Hear me, brothers and sisters, carefully. The crowd wanted Israel to be set free from Roman oppression. It was Passover after all. 
All their minds were thinking about how God had rescued them from the clutches of Pharaoh, had walked them out of Egypt at the, with, with Moses at the head. It's Passover. I mean, come on, Jesus. It doesn't get better than this. The very celebration of that monumental event is happening right now. Can you blame them? I mean, really think about it. Can you blame them? I, I actually think I might have been right there with them. It all seems a little unfair. It all makes very little sense. He was supposed to come and free us from Rome. He was the Messiah. And he's clearly a false one because he's hanging on the cross. That's where failed leaders go. That's where false messiahs go. Therefore, if you are the Son of God... Come on down. And suddenly, without even being aware of it, I'm echoing the words of the enemy. Disappointment seems to me to be an understandable response. So is disappointment wrong? Are negative feelings wrong? Was it wrong for the crowd to be disappointed that it didn't turn out the way they wanted it to? Let's look at John the Baptist for a second. When Jesus finished placing this charge before the 12 disciples, he went on to teach and preach in their villages. John, John the Baptist, meanwhile, had been locked up in prison. That sounds disappointing. When he got wind of what Jesus was doing, he sent his own disciples to ask, are you the one we've been expecting? In essence, he's asking, are you the son of God? Or are we still waiting? It's an honest question. And it's rooted in disappointment. I can't think sitting in Herod's prison was a great place to be. He eventually loses his head over the issue. Jesus told them, Go back and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. Is this what you were expecting? Then count yourself most blessed. And then he goes on and he says to the disciples, I tell you the truth, all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. In John's disappointment, in his honest question, Jesus takes his doubt, takes his disappointment, and responds with kindness and grace. You see, the difference between the outcry of the crowd and the honest questioning of John is that John was careful in his disappointment. And the words out of his mouth were not words of the enemy. Jesus gets it. He gets what it feels like to be disappointed. See, the crowd sent up their rebuke and in doing so, opened the door of the lies of Satan. So how we react to our own disappointment matters very much. Because our reactions have consequences. 
We're all being tempted, each and every single one of us, whether we be very, very little or very, very big, very, very young or very, very not so young. We're being tempted every single day to use our emotions, our reactions, our responses in the moments of our disappointment and discouragement and suffering in ways that do harm to ourselves and harm to others. There's a temptation to put the words of Satan into our mouths. But Jesus shows us a different way. You can't tell me hanging there on the cross, getting all of this venomous words spat at him, the lies spat at him, the words he knows full well are the words of Satan spat at him, that that would not feel deeply disappointing. And that might actually be a very soft way of putting it. What did Jesus do? He forgave them. He remained silent because he was doing what God had asked him to do and wanted him to do. And he trusted the Father, not the crowds. And so he was very careful with how he dealt with his disappointment. So how do we live this story? So I asked you to think about what you were really disappointed about. So I want you to bring that back into your mind, about what you thought, those negative feelings. And I want you to think about your understanding of fairness, about suffering. And I want you to even think about your understanding of prayer. How is that all jumbled up? And then I want, to think about, I want you to think about your responses. With no shame, no guilt, you don't have to share it. We're not going to be asking for the mic to be passed around later. But I want you to think about those times where your responses might not have been your words, but words that were intentionally intended by, this, by Satan to cause harm. See, there's questions about this. I love having a text conversation with Sam McHale. So Sam asks lots of really, really good questions about faith, and he'll just text me randomly. Sam has zero respect for time boundaries, so it'll come in at 10 o'clock at night, or it'll come in at Sunday morning or Thursday afternoon. I love it. I love these questions. One day he sent me this particular text, and I have his permission to share it, provided I shared you the actual screenshot because he wanted you to see how much he loved cats. And Sam asked this brilliant question, why does God answer some people's prayers but doesn't answer other people's prayers? Some people don't seem to get any, even though they're faithful. Why is that? Such a great question. Lord willing, Sam's going to be up there in the tank with me in a couple of weeks because he's been asking such great questions. Philip too asked such great questions. My response, Sam, no is an answer sometimes God gives. 
If he was here, I'd ask, you, I'd ask him, did you like my answer, Sam? But I'm going to tell you, he didn't. And you know something? I didn't either. You see, what I, what I, what I want, not what I need, but what I want is God to be a giant vending machine where I can walk up and put my prayer in, hit the button, and get what I want out the bottom. You see, God doesn't do that. So it's not such a great answer, but it's true. And so when we live this story, we're living inside the understanding that God sometimes makes decisions on our behalf that disappoint us. And it's hard to understand, especially when we're suffering, because suffering and disappointment are linked. Jesus suffered, and Jesus was innocent. And in him, I think we see the greatest example in all of history of the problem of suffering and why does God actually allow it. And Jesus gives us the answer. In his amazing sermon on the mountainside, he actually tells us that suffering and disappointment can be a path to blessing. And then he showed us this by allowing himself to be hung on a cross. Now, it doesn't make it any easier, does it? I don't like to suffer. I don't like disappointment. I don't like having conversations that are challenging. I don't like telling you things you don't want to hear. So I want to give you a couple of insights before we go. First, although it doesn't feel like it, there is an answer to our disappointments even in the midst of suffering. It's not in words, but it's in the presence of Jesus who has come to share in our pain. You see, God does not go away. He doesn't disappear when we're experiencing sadness or discouragement or disappointment. He is right there with us. We worship the suffering servant. And Jesus promised that he would be with us always, even to the ends of the earth. So we can hold on to that promise in the midst of our disappointment. Secondly, there's community available to us in our disappointment and suffering. We all experience it, therefore we are fellow sufferers. And that's what we're meant to be together because there's a temptation when we are suffering to pull away, to reject community, to blame community, and to isolate ourselves from one another. But when you're disappointed, when you're suffering, the community of Jesus, the church, is meant to be a gift for us. You're a gift for me when I choose to accept it. And that means two things. It's meant that we're, we're to connect to this gift, participate in the life of the community, and not pull away regardless of what it is we're feeling. It also means we're to be this community for those who suffer among us and to be present to those who need the face and hands and feet and touch and voice of Jesus because we are that for those people in the midst of their suffering. 
Because disappointment and suffering is not the end of the story. Jesus showed us the cross wasn't the end. Our disappointments aren't the end. Because we have a future in Jesus. And therefore, our suffering and our disappointments actually can have a purpose. Because there are benefits that come to us from that passion story from Christ's experience on the cross. And that benefit, ultimately, is the freedom from sin, eternal life with God, a new family of co-sufferers, all made possible from this one event that was filled with disappointment. If you are the Son of God, It was because Jesus is the Son of God that he chose not to come down from that cross. And therefore, everything changed and your disappointments and suffering no longer rule. So bring your disappointments to the cross. Bring your sadness to the cross. Bring your suffering to the cross. Even the ones you had when you were young, Bring your hopes and sorrows. Bring the hopes and sorrows of this world. Bring them all to the cross. Because it is here that they're all fulfilled. It is here where God's hope comes shining through. It is here where God looks at you with his yeses and his noes because sometimes it does not turn out the way we expected or imagined or even wanted it but it is all fulfilled for the glory of God and the goodness of his people. That's the invitation for us this morning. So kids, if you manage to stick with me, remember this. Our suffering isn't the end. Jesus is. And in Jesus, we can face our disappointments and let the words that come out of our mouths be words of life. Because we have a future where all of our disappointments will be swept away. And kids, parents, adults, grandparents, cousins, nephews, sons, daughters, this, this is very, very good news. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you You chose not to react in the midst of those disappointments. That when the words of Satan were were thrust out of the mouths of a crowd that just did not understand, that Lord, you did not react. You chose to continue on the path toward life, even when all things seemed like an utter failure. Lord, I don't know where we are as individuals. Lord, if there's anyone here who feels like that moment where there's no way forward, the saying, yeah, but you don't understand, Pastor Dwayne, my story. And it's true, I don't. But Lord, if there is that person here, I pray that they would see their story's not over. Lord, in the midst of that disappointment, in the midst of that despair, in the midst of that suffering, Jesus is present. Lord, I pray that in those moments that they would would not succumb to the temptation 
to speak words of death, but to embrace life in you, Jesus. And so, Lord, as we move through this day, as we move through this week, as we approach some difficult conversations going forward, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be constantly mindful that you've, you've won. The cross was the ultimate victory. And that all we're doing right now is the mop-up stuff. And help us to lean into that ultimate hope that you have made a way for us to live. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.